Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have James Williams. He's a thinker in the ethics of design. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Tobias Stone. He's a writer on politics and current affairs. He writes on Medium. Uh, Tobias, one of your biggest posts, I think, got it was like 7 million views or something like that? 7.3 million at the latest count. <laughs> 7.3. So you're not, a, you're not a humble man. Oh, I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you uh, Why don't you describe uh, your background and and what you've been writing about? I have a very broad background, um, studying history and traveling a lot, and sort of having a fairly diverse perspective on what's happening in the world at the moment. And I've been writing initially about what we could learn from history and how that could help us understand what's happening now. But more recently, I've been writing a lot about, particularly Brexit and Trump and information warfare and, and generally how the world's falling apart okay so all right so that well that's this is a problem so the, the whole podcast uh, i think we discussed this that the pod the, I, the premise of the podcast is the world isn't going to fall apart to a degree uh that's like blade runner-esque it's going to be a little bit nicer than that uh would you agree or disagree with that i i would probably agree that we're not heading towards blade runner mm-hmm. um but i i find it hard to be positive and I was thinking the other day that, you know, maybe I'm another victim of someone who's got caught up in social media. My Facebook feed is just endless Wall Street, uh, Washington Post articles about how terrible everything is. Um, so I try to take a step back and, and assume that maybe things aren't really that bad after all. Maybe it's just a lot of media hype. But it's very hard to do that. So even then I go back in and start looking at facts um, rather than opinions. Um, and things do look... In, in quite a unique situation, I think, within my lifetime. It's uh, so. So this is this is what I've been, I've been talking to a lot of folks about this uh, concept. Even the idea of how despair uh, is going to assist us over the next uh, few years. How the despair of everything that we're seeing around us is uh, basically activating folks like you. Uh, to start thinking and writing and, and building uh, new tools to help us survive this. Like if if everything were okay, uh, maybe we'd we'd sleepwalk into a, into a, into tragedy, as opposed to as opposed to howl wildly as as we fall into it, right? Well, my last piece on Medium was called "Sleepwalking into a War." Yeah. Um, so it's interesting you said that. I think we're sleepwalking into it right now. I, I think. It's great that we're writing. I think writing is important and, and getting people thinking and debating is important. But I think as a society or as a group of societies, uh, at a political level, people aren't really understanding how bad things are. Um, and I think also, when again, when you look back over history, it's very hard when you're on the ground to realize how bad things are. It's very easy with the benefit of hindsight to look back and go, well, God, they should have noticed it was happening. 
because one thing led to another. But those things tend to unfold, you know, on a day to day basis over time. And often it's not one single event that triggers a bad outcome. It's, it's a lot of things combined. And I think at the moment there's so much going on that when you combine it looks incredibly negative. That unless you spend your whole time reading extensively, it's very hard to wrap your head around what's actually happening. So, okay, so what is actually happening in your, in your view? Let's 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 start. Well, I've, I've got I've got my vertical that I'm interested in, but I was reading a piece yesterday about the climate again, about food production, and and Georges Monbonnet on on the, on the on the Guardian was saying, you know, where's the food going to come from? We were now getting too many people with not enough land to produce the food they need. So that that's one, and that sort of parks alongside the stuff that worries me. Other people could some of my work for not addressing climate change enough, and I think that was very valid. Um, I was particularly looking at what's happening politically. Uh, I think our democracies are being eroded. Um, I think in America in particular, um, net neutrality is, is obviously something that's worrying a lot of people, but behind it, um, the FCC is also liberalizing television media. And this deregulation of television will allow people to take over local TV, so that I think they're going to take about 70 or 80 percent of local television in the States. So there's fairly soon, it's likely if, if net neutrality goes as well, that by the next election, it'll be very hard for people who are not on Trump's side of the debate to be heard. I wonder. Uh, and these are subtle things that, that undermine democracies. So let's go back to that briefly. So we're we're arguing that we're arguing that television uh in particular is being de-democratized right uh television originally was the was the broadcast medium it became uh let's i mean let's say it's a it's a liberal bastion it was it it was it was designed to be an educational product uh we had to have a fairness doctrine uh it was built it was built in the image of a uh kind and egalitarian New Yorker, right? That, that sort of, that sort of thing where you say to yourself, the, 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 world, the world turns to television for its news, so it better be damn good. Now the world doesn't turn to television for anything. Uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a television station that has any, um, any real value to anyone over the age of 20, right? Uh, we can argue CNN is, CNN is being attacked, but it's, 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 useless to anybody outside of outside of some old man sitting and staring at the tv all day why why hold on to it why keep it why not let it fall into a cesspool of of garbage because the difficulty we have is if you combine the two if you combine the, the scrapping net neutrality with deregulating television you get up to a point where trump's base are only seeing one form of media which is as far as people are saying is no longer in any sense balanced mm -hmm. So if you have to buy an internet package, if you like to watch Fox and you're watching it on cable and you end up buying an internet package to get Fox and that internet package doesn't give you access to other forms of media, perhaps doesn't let you see the New York Times unless you pay a premium, you're getting people's access to information narrowed down and down and down. Um, and what, when you look at the emerging democracies in Eastern Europe, one of the first things people did was try to create independent media. Mm -hmm. So it's clearly an important part of a democracy. And I think it, what, I'm, what I'm saying really is not just that the problem of deregulated television is a problem on its own. What I'm seeing is you have to be able to connect everything to see what the real problem is. So if you connect deregulation of television with the fact that people trust local TV more than they trust national TV with the abolition of net neutrality, you get to a point where a large parts of the population will only ever see one message in a in an election. See, I'm I'm a, I'm a little bit more um, 
I guess I'm a little bit more bullish on on the death of net uh, I mean the, the the maintenance of net neutrality simply because um, the internet routes around damage, right? So even if the ISPs and even if everybody uh, even if everybody does this, uh, there's going to be somebody who says, "All right, well let's figure out let's figure out a different a better internet with blackjack and uh, ladies of the night." It's just going to happen. Uh, mm. We can't. It's it has to happen and it, it will happen. So the so this this idea of net neutrality destroying that I'm 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 fascinated by these the by these concepts and I think it's I think you're I think you're definitely on the right track. But I'm just I'm less of a pessimist when it comes to this uh, in specific. And maybe it's because I maybe it's because I don't know I sit on my attic. Maybe it's because you're li li liberal 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 <laughs> educated and, and living in New York. That, um, that could be it too. Yeah. Never, if you, if you, and I think that's one of the problems. And one, one of the things I wrote in the piece of mine that went viral is if you look back through history, it's the liberals who usually end up against a wall in front of the firing squad during the revolution. And liberals generally don't take up arms. They generally don't break the rules. Um, and when they're up against what is usually, let's say, called them fascists or neo-fascists who are breaking the rules and are violent, they usually lose. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's definitely a pattern in history. They usually, they usually win in the long run, but after a very painful struggle. So my concern is that we have a lot of us browbeating and writing articles in the New York Times about how awful everything is, it doesn't change the fact that that voice is being contained more and more for just one audience, um, and that, that some quite sinister things are happening. And I think that, that word sinister actually is interesting. So going back to your original question, I think there's two things going on. There's a combination of some very sinister people really trying to undermine the, the Western order that was built out of the war. Uh, um, and then secondly, I think we just have a lot of incredibly crap politicians at the moment, my country and yours. Mm -hmm. And you look at what's happening with Brexit, there's some sinister stuff going on as to why Brexit happened in the first place and how social media played a role in it and, and Russian bots and Mercer and Cambridge Analytica. But then you look at the British government right now and they're just not very good, rather low calibre people. And I think, again, if you look at the states, you've got people passing tax laws that what you like team all of the credible experts are saying are going to be bad and they just turn around and ignore the experts to go i think they'll be fine that's a very weak poor government okay so let's uh let's let's write a let's write a book now what's the what is the handbook <laughs> for what is the handbook for liberals against the wall look like it's a very good question i don't know it's the thing i want to think about over christmas really because i think next year is going to be interesting um I still think that we need to find ways of reaching out across information bubbles. We, we need to, the Democrats need to figure out how to speak to the Republicans. An interesting thing that's happening in the UK is that the political consensus is tending to gather in the center whilst the parties are moving to the left and the right. And they, they're, they're very popular with the people they still appeal to. And there's a huge swathe of people in the middle who just have no one to vote for. And I think that's probably the same with, with America. Mm -hmm. And there's a really big question the UK political system basically doesn't allow for new parties to be created and win. Um, what, what do all of these politicians and voters in the centre do when they're not feeling represented by either party? And I don't know how that's going to play out next year, but I think something needs to happen there. People need to start reaching out across normal divides, figuring out how they can work together to try and sort of recenter politics. Well, we're going to see that, and we'll, we'll see this goes up on Friday. We'll see what happens after, after the next couple of days. But yeah, we see that directly in Alabama. It's either you vote for the guy who, who uh, aborts babies, and you, or you vote for the guy who, uh, who's a pedophile. So you're really kind of stuck if you're in Alabama. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> sadly it's in Alabama. The, it's a period of very low quality politicians. It's very strange. And I think one of the problems is that as, as that happens, politics becomes less attractive and the good politicians 
either leave or go into sort of quiet in the background waiting for it to change. So, I mean, what we've got in the UK at the moment, which is which is curious, the, the Conservative Party, who is still sort of fully in favour of Brexit, Labour, who've sort of sat on the fence or been in favour of Brexit as well, are very slowly crawling towards suggesting they're in favour of a soft Brexit, staying within the single market and the customs union. So that would be the first time there's a party that differentiates itself since this whole Brexit thing started. Mm-hmm. But then you're left with the question, would you rather vote Conservative and have potentially catastrophic Brexit or vote Labour and have a less bad Brexit, but then nationalise all of our industries? And it's still a fairly bad set of choices. I wonder, I wonder if we're not looking at a demographic shift. I mean, if you look at every single one of the uh, candidates we're talking about, they're all in their 50s and 60s, uh, mm. and Trump is, Trump is 70. Uh, plus, yeah. we're looking at the death of the baby boomer generation, the the last gasp uh, of, oh, a, yeah. of a grasping of a grasping generation. God bless, uh, mm-hmm. God bless our grandparents. But uh, but at this point, I don't want my dad uh, making political decisions after listening to Rush Limbaugh for a straight decade. Um, hmm. Is this next generation going to fix things, or are or are think, we going to are we going to be too far in the hole? I think it's a really good question. I th- I think, you know, the, the voting stats on both Brexit and your last election <clears throat> showed that the outcome was voted for primarily by older people and that younger people feel unrepresented. Mm-hmm. Um, they're generally more centrist. Yeah, it definitely seems to feel like the death throes of a 1950s generation. Um, depending how much damage they do to the underlying fabric of democracy, it's very likely that a younger generation will rise up and, and take back control of their futures. Because at the moment, it does feel also that, again, in both of our countries, when it comes to climate change and, and global relations that our current governments are damaging the future for our children and grandchildren and, and quite how they'll respond to that I don't know I think in the long run it'll be fine and this is the other thing I wrote about way back that, that seemed to resonate with people was I was writing about the black death and how if you've been involved if you've been around <laughs> during the black death yeah. it was a really really bad time but historically the black death did a lot of great things for society uh, it allowed it allowed people working on the land to charge higher wages, to become more mobile. It created essentially a very early version of a middle class, a yeomanry. Um, it depends where you are in the historical cycle. There's a chance that we're going to have a really tough time, but hopefully our children or grandchildren won't. But, you know, again, you say that and you think, well, for that to happen, the climate has to survive. Um, the basic tenets of democracy have to make it through. Um, so it is, I think it is a very dangerous, challenging time. And I think next year will be really interesting to see if anyone can figure out how to slow it down or challenge it. Because at the moment, I don't really see anyone in the States properly challenging Trump or the Republicans, including the Republicans. I mean, the only people really speaking up are Republicans. And I think there are a lot of very decent, very good Republicans out there who need to find their voice and reclaim their party. Mm-hmm. But equally, the Democrats are sort of nowhere to be seen. And in the UK, we have the same problem. We, we, the Labour Party's sort of very dominated by, by Corbyn and his momentum group. Um, there's a lot of Labour voters who feel they have nothing in common with that and they've got to find a voice and figure out where they sit politically and I think there's a lot of conservatives who don't believe in Brexit so there's there's something about people taking back control of their own parties and their own political ideologies which will be interesting to see out, see play out next year hmm. interesting all right uh, so so ultimately what's what's the world we're gonna look like in 20 years we're we gonna be okay <laughs> <laughs> If we'd been sitting here talking in 1942, and you'd asked me that question, I wonder how we would have answered it. That's exactly the um, question. Like, I, how, 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 can, how can we answer, I, ask the question? I think if you look, you know, I, I studied long periods of history. Uh, if you look backwards, humans always survive. 
mm -hmm. always come through and they come through better. It depends where you are in that historical process. So, you know, if, if uh, it may be 10, 20, 50 or 100 years, at some point someone will look back and go, well, it all, it all worked out fine, but it was awful for those poor people who got caught in that period when the climate collapsed or America became a dictatorship or whatever crazy stuff lies ahead of us or not. Um, for, for someone, it's going to be very tough. I mean, I think in America right now, there's going to be large swathes of people who lose their health care and become poorer mm -hmm. for whom the, the coming period is going to be painful and potentially fatal. Um, I think in the UK, I'm genuinely concerned that the way things are heading with Brexit, our economy is not going to be in a good shape and it's going to be a poorer, less important country, you know, in the next five to ten years. Um, how it bounces back, I don't know. I think it probably will. And I think 10, 20, 30 years time, we'll all look back and it'll be fine. You know, the lesson from history is we have no idea what's going to happen next and there's <laughs> generally no idea how to deal with it either. So I think sitting back and not caring isn't an option at the moment, whether that's about politics or the climate. Um, this, this is not the time for complacency. All right. Tobias, thank you for this. Uh, this is, uh, this is, well, you know what? It, we, we need, we need it every once in a while on the podcast because I think, uh, I think too much, uh, too much happiness is a, is a, uh, is a soul deadener, right? I'm happy and optimistic. I'm, I like to I like I like to consider myself a cautious optimist. Okay, good. All right, where can uh, where can people read your stuff? Uh, Medium. Um, I think it's stroke or at TS Writing. At TS Writing. All right, perfect. I'll uh, I'll, yeah, I'll put a uh, link in here too as well. Thanks very much. All right, thanks for good joining us. You. Thanks for joining us on Technotopia. Keep cheerful. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> Thank you. Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter. Typewriter is your on-demand editor, and their amazing team of writers will make your book chapter, blog post, or email shine. Typewriter editors come from places like TechCrunch, Gizmodo, and the New York Times, and they offer low bulk rates for longer work. Check it out at typewriter.plus. That's typewriter.plus. <laughs>